Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. Well, question for you. Uh, we're just going to do a simple show of hands. What is the biggest holiday celebration for you and your family? So, famous, biggest holiday for you and your family. How many of it is Christmas? That's the biggest holiday. So I expect most people. Christmas, yes. Uh, how about uh, Easter coming up in a week? Easter? Anyone? Biggest holiday? Uh, Independence Day, July 4th. Independence Day? No? Uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Halloween. Some people, Halloween is the biggest holiday. Yeah, okay, I see a few. Halloween. Uh, I'm probably missing one. Any, any other ones? Memorial Day. Memorial Day. Anyone? Biggest holiday? Today. Today? Good. Uh, Palm Sunday. <laughs> All right. What? Mother's Day. Okay, thank you. Mother's Day is the most important holiday. I see how it is. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Uh, yes, Mom. That is the most important. Uh, who, who are you? Who are you? I feel like when we celebrate holidays, when we make big deals about them as a family or as a community, they shape who we are. I bet if someone was knowledgeable about the holidays of the world and you told them, you know, these are the four major holidays we celebrate as a family, they could pinpoint, oh, you're an American, right? (laughs) Or whatever uh, your tradition. They might even be able to tell, oh, you're a Christian American, actually, from what holidays you celebrate. Because the holidays you celebrate not just say a lot about you, but again, they form you as a person. Now, what's interesting is I didn't even mention Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread because... Uh, well, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, anyone? <laughs> Favorite family holiday? Now, the reason I, I say this is because for uh, practicing Jews, that's the biggest holiday celebrated throughout the year. We're going to be talking about today. And it's the holiday that Jesus would have grown up celebrating every single year. Probably traveling to Jerusalem once he was of age every year to celebrate with his family, Passover. It's also where we're at in this story uh, through the book of Exodus. We're to the Passover, the final of the 10 plagues. And it was so important. It was so key for Old Testament Israel that it became the national holiday. As we're going to see, actually, it even became the beginning of the new year. It was like New Year's and Thanksgiving and Christmas all in one for Jewish people. And yet we as Christians often kind of just skirt it to the side. Or if we think about Passover, we think about it in the context of Lord's Supper. And we just think of it as an addition to a church service. (laughs) But originally, it was actually a meal and a holiday and a time to get together with family and friends and a special celebration. And I came to learn this and appreciate this to a much uh, deeper degree when I was in college. So I went to a Christian college. And because I was curious about a lot of the Jewish traditions in the Bible, uh, I joined a Messianic Jewish club. Um, For those of you who don't know, Messianic Judaism uh, is is Judaism practice, but with the understanding that Jesus is the Messiah that Israel looked forward to. 
So it's basically Christianity, but deep appreciation and ongoing participation and practice of lots of the Old Testament Israelite traditions. And I was just curious about all this Old Testament background, so I joined this Messianic Jewish club, and one of the coolest things we did was a Passover Seder, a Passover holiday celebration. And for me, it was just so eye-opening. I didn't realize before how many ways that Jesus fulfilled this feast when he came on the cross. And it was such a beautiful celebration. And so since then, um, I've often offered uh, Passover seders for our church community. Some of you have participated in those in past years. We're not going to do one of those this year because we're doing a miniature one today. Um, and I hope, just like what happened for me when I was in college, that if you've never experienced this before, that this would be eye-opening for you and perhaps even heart-opening for you as to what Jesus came to do and why this is such good news. And again, there is participation required. I'm going to get some volunteers along the way. All right, so get your hand ready to raise and run up here, right? I know, I know you're ready for that. Uh, if no one raises their hand, I might have to pick on some people. It'll be fun. We'll have fun. It'll be good. All right, I just said uh, Passover Seder. Seder. What's a Seder? The word Seder uh, in Hebrew is the word for order. And it comes from the tradition that when you have a Passover meal or Passover celebration, you do it in a particular order. And so we're going to be hitting the main points of the celebration, but please know that if you did this with a Jewish family, it would take a couple hours. We're not going to take a couple hours. Uh, So I'm going to be skipping some things. Uh, I'll try and tell you most of the time when you do that. But it's called the Passover Seder, or this is the correct order, because it comes from the order of events that happened in Passover, And it came to be celebrated with four cups of wine. Four cups of wine to celebrate all that God did for the Israelite people. And so uh, we're not using wine. We're using grape juice. Sorry or not sorry. Uh, So four cups of grape juice today uh, to celebrate these events. And this all comes from Exodus chapter 6. Now we're not going to be in Exodus 6. We're going to be in Exodus 12. But this is where this order comes from. This is Exodus 6, 6 through 7. Therefore tell the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. From the fourth later of labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. So the first cup is the cup of freedom. Because God will bring you out from slavery. So this is a cup of freedom, celebrating that. And he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. The second cup at the Passover meal is the cup of judgment. That the way God accomplished freedom was through judgment, the cup of judgment. Then the third cup is the cup of redemption. You see that word there. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Redeem means buy back. It's God purchasing a people for himself. The third cup is the cup of redemption. And then verse 7, God says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. The fourth cup is the cup of praise. Thank you, God, that you have made us your people. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. And so if you have your bulletin, you can kind of follow along with the order we'll be following today. Uh, And our main text is Exodus chapter 12. And we're going to be skipping around to see how parts of this feast fulfill what happened in the original Passover and how it was celebrated along the way. So you guys ready? Here we go. Uh, First of all, before the feast even happens, you have to get ready. You have to prepare. Just like before Christmas, you got to do some shopping, got to do some wrapping of gifts, purchasing of food. You have to prepare Passover. How did you prepare for Passover? 
you clean out the cupboards. <laughs> Exodus 12, starting in verse 14, says this. This day is to be a memorial for you. And you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. This is so important. I want every single generation to keep doing this, keep doing this, keep doing this. Do it with your kids so they can do it with their kids. You must eat unleavened bread, bread with no yeast, for seven days. On the first day, you must remove yeast from your houses. Whoever eats what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. So the first step to prepare for Passover is to clean out the cupboards. And practicing Jews take this very seriously. They clean out their cupboards. They get rid of all the yeast in their houses. Any crackers that have yeast, throw them out. Any cereals that have yeast, throw them out. Why? What's the big deal? It's time of preparation. It's interesting in the New Testament, in Matthew 16, Jesus draws a parallel between yeast and sin. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's a really good metaphor because if you've ever made bread, you know you just need a tiny bit of yeast and a bunch of flour and it makes bread. Just a tiny bit can make a big difference. Just a tiny bit of the influence of sin can make a big difference in your life. So it's a time of cleansing and preparation, symbolically removing any uh, sources of evil from your life getting rid of that. For them, there was a practical reason too, because when the Passover did happen, they had to leave in a hurry. They had to leave in haste. They didn't have time to let their bread rise. And so for all the generations to commemorate that, that how quickly they had to finally leave, they eat bread without yeast. So God continues in his instructions. He says, you are to hold a sacred assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day. No work may be done on those days except for preparing what people need to eat. You may do only that. It's a day of celebration, a festival, time with family. You can get ready, and that's it. The rest of the time, you're to rest, you're to enjoy your family, and to celebrate. You are to observe the festival of unleavened bread because on this very day, I brought your military divisions out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You already eat unleavened bread in the first month from the evening of the 14th day of the month until the evening of the 21st day for one whole week. Yeast must not be found in your houses for seven days. If anyone eats something leavened, that person, whether a resident alien or native of the land, must be cut off from the community of Israel. Do not eat anything leavened. Eat unleavened bread in all your homes. So first step to Passover is actually the preparation for Passover. Before the feast happens, you prepare. And you prepare by getting rid of all sources of sin. And so we are going to do that symbolically, actually, right now. We're going to pause. If we were doing this in a meal, uh, we would do a prayer together and say some things out loud. But what I'd like to do is because all of us have perhaps something in our lives. It's a temptation to sin that maybe you're flirting with and you shouldn't be. Maybe it's time to ask God to get that out of your life completely. Is there any yeast in your life, in your home, in your heart, in your mind? We're just going to take a minute and say, God, would you cleanse me from that influence of evil? Because just a little bit can make a big impact in your life. And so let's have a time of confession together 
as we prepare for this feast. Instead of cleansing our homes from literal yeast, we want to ask God to cleanse our hearts from the influence of sin. So I'll pray for us, and then we'll have a moment of silence. God, there are so many things that can tempt us, so many potential things that can draw us away from you. There's so many justifications we can make in our minds and our hearts of why it's not that big of a deal or I can handle it. And God, right now I pray each of us who has chosen to follow you would just come before you and surrender those things to you. We ask you to cleanse our lives and our hearts from any and all influences of sin. Would you give us a heart just to get rid of those things? And would you help us in the, in the openness and honesty of this moment to confess those things to you and ask for your forgiveness, which you freely offered all. God, thank you that when we confess, you are faithful to forgive. And your heart is to cleanse us. Thank you for the forgiveness that is found in you. And we pray. Amen. So we've cleansed out the leaven. And we come to the first cup. And I won't have someone come and drink the first cup, but the first cup is the cup of freedom. I will need someone as a volunteer in just one moment. So think about if you want to come up and eat something. Uh, The first thing you get to eat is not bad. There's something bad coming later. Uh, The first thing is not bad, all right? First cup, the cup of freedom. Again, going back to Exodus 6.6. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will bring you out. This is the cup of freedom. And so if we're having a meal together, you would all have a cup. We would all drink together. We would toast. We would say, say a blessing, thanking God for the gift of freedom and drink together. After the first cup comes a tradition of the dipping of herbs. So who would like to come dip some herbs today and eat them? It's parsley. It's not. It doesn't taste good. All right. Come on, Steve. I love the enthusiasm. I love it. Uh, as Steve makes his way up here, let me explain where this tradition comes from because there's several links. So come on up, Steve. This is your place at, at our table. Um, here's part of the tradition. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. This is related to the practice of getting ready for the 10th plague. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, And brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. Now, the tradition is they used hyssop because it almost acts as a natural paintbrush. So they dip the hyssop in the blood and paint the doorposts. Now, uh, parsley is the herb that's traditionally used, uh, referred to also as carpus. Um, Parsley is interesting for a number of reasons, but we think this is used because it looks a lot like hyssop does. If you can imagine taking something like this, dipping it in blood, it would act kind of as a natural paintbrush. 
So, uh, Steve, this is your parsley. And uh, when you have a Passover Seder, you take it and you dip it in salt water, actually. And then you eat it. So go ahead and enjoy that parsley, Steve, and then you can uh, tell us what it's like. Yeah, the, the water's salty. All right, anything else? Fibrous. Fibrous. Fibrous and salty. Thank you, Steve. You are uh, most helpful. All right, thank you, Steve. Great. Uh, we're going to do more in a minute, but that's great. Uh, yeah, fibrous and salty. I love it. It's true. So you dip the parsley in salt water. Why salt water? To symbolize the tears of slavery the tears of slavery, and you dip the parsley in it. And it's interesting because you see this over and over in the Passover meal is this combination of sweetness with bitterness uh, in some ways, or death and new life. You have the tears of slavery mixed with the parsley. Parsley is also used because it's green and it's a springtime uh, herb. And so you celebrate Passover in the spring of the year when new life is coming up. And it's a symbol of the new life that happens after Exodus. God's going to bring his people out and give them a new life and a new land. And so you have new life right next to tears. Interesting. You have to go through the tears to get to the new life. All right. What happens next is the breaking of bread in the meal. The breaking of bread. So I think this is one of the coolest aspects of the meal. What I'm about to do is not articulated in the text we're looking at, but this is a tradition of how Passover is practiced. What I'm told is if you went to an average Jewish home, this is what would happen at this point in the meal. And it's so interesting because it's one of those things that, how does this link with Passover? I don't know. But how does it link to Jesus? In a lot of special and beautiful ways. So what happens next is the breaking of the bread. The bread that is used is matzah bread. You see how it's very thin. It's unleavened bread. And so the leader of the meal, usually the father or the grandpa, takes the middle matzah. The middle matzah is taken, and the middle matzah is broken. The middle matzah is broken. The middle matzah is broken and wrapped and hidden. It's called the afikomen. Uh, most people think it means dessert. This is the dessert that we're going to save for later. It's the thing that comes afterwards. And usually uh, during the meal, the dad or the grandpa would go hide this, and then later the kids would have to search for it. Now, isn't it interesting? Three pieces of matzah. Christians see this as a symbol of father, son, and spirit. And the middle person of the Trinity is broken. And... He's hidden for a time, wrapped, buried, symbolizing three days in the grave, and he comes back later. So this is going to be the bread that we break later, and that I think Jesus broke later. Breaking of the bread. Why do all this? Why this elaborate celebration? God tells his people. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, 
It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, and he spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshiped. I love this part because it says, your children are going to ask why. Have you any, any of you had kids? Any of them ask why? 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 Right. Why do we drive on the right side of the road? Why? Why? I see some kids be like, yes. God knew kids would ask why. And in fact, he planned for kids to ask why. He wanted the kids in the homes that are celebrating this to ask why. And he wanted the parents to answer. So, uh, we're, for simplicity's sake, we're going to pretend we're all kids today. You're all, children. You're all my children today. Okay. Just kidding. Uh, and so these are the four questions about Passover that traditionally kid, different kids in the home would ask, and the parent or the grandparent telling the story would uh, answer. So go ahead, kids. Let's say it all together. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why do we eat only unleavened bread on this night? The parent or grandparent would say, because this is the night we celebrate our freedom from slavery in Egypt. If God hadn't interceded for our people, we might still be slaves in Egypt. But we're not. Today we're free. And we're free because God acted on behalf of our people. And we eat unleavened bread on this night because the people had to leave in a hurry. And they didn't have time to let the bread rise. On all other nights, we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why do we eat only bitter herbs on this night? Children, we only eat bitter herbs on this night because of the bitterness of slavery. Side note, the word bitter in Hebrew is uh, mara or maror. It's the, the root of Mary's name, actually. It's bitter. If you remember back in the story, it said that, that the Pharaoh made the Israelites' lives bitter with harsh slavery. It's the bitterness of slavery. So you eat bitter herbs to commemorate that. Let's read again. On all other nights, we do not dip our herbs. Why do we dip them on this night? Uh, we dip our parsley and salt water to celebrate the tears of slavery like we already talked about. Uh, we'll also be dipping our matzah in the maror or the bitter herbs to celebrate and commemorate the bitterness of slavery. Last question. On all other nights we eat sitting up or reclining. Why do we eat only reclining on this night? Well, you're not reclining. Uh, I guess you could have permission to, you know, like lay down in your seat. <laughs> reclining is how free people would um, eat in the ancient world. If you were a slave, you couldn't eat reclining. If you were a freed person, you could eat kind of laying on those low couches. If you've seen pictures of the Last Supper, some of them show that. And so some Jewish homes actually do this. Most don't. But some, um, you actually eat the, the Lord's Supper reclining. Uh, this is also was how it was practiced in the first century, was it, was, which is why it says that Jesus reclined at table with the twelve. They're not just sitting down in chairs. They're reclining on these kind of cushions to celebrate freedom. Reclining is how free people sit and eat. 
At this point, uh, someone would tell the story of the Passover, and they would summarize all the things going on. How our people, we were in the land of Canaan. That's where Abraham, God, God had promised the land to Abraham, but there was a time of famine. And so Joseph brought our people to Egypt, and God provided for our people in Egypt. And our people multiplied in Egypt and grew, but then a pharaoh arose who didn't remember Joseph and all the good that he had done. And he put our people into slavery. And we kept multiplying, and then things got worse, and he tried to kill our people. He had all the firstborn sons thrown into the Nile River. But God saved us through a man named Moses. God called Moses to be his prophet and to speak for him and to intercede for us. And through Moses, God sent ten plagues on the land of Egypt. Now, the second cup is the cup of judgment. And as you're telling the story, this is actually when you celebrate part of this cup. So, uh, I need another volunteer to drink the cup of judgment. Yep, come on up. Here's our second cup. Thank you for volunteering. The cup of judgment. So, oh, yep, no, actually come over here. Um, Because you have to do something to this cup. It's a special cup. Uh, Let me read something first. Sorry, what's your name? Emily. Emily, thank you so much for volunteering, Emily. So what I'm going to have you do, Emily, I'm going to do it too with my cup so you know how this works. Uh, We're going to diminish the joy of the cup. A full cup is a symbol of joy, but when you drink the cup of judgment, you're also remembering that it took these 10 plagues to get Pharaoh to let the people go. And so it's not a full cup. It's not a joyful cup. That joy has been diminished by the fact that God had to judge the Egyptians to do this. And so I'm going to list the plagues, Emily. And as I list each plague, what you're going to do is you're going to dip your finger in the grape juice. And then you're going to drop a drop onto your napkin. Okay? Does that make sense? Uh, And I didn't write this down, so hopefully I remember. I should because I've been preaching on it, but we'll see. All right, so first plague was uh, blood. Good. Frogs, gnats, flies, the death of the livestock. (laughs) Feel very on the spot. Might forget one here. Uh, uh, Locusts, hail, darkness. And the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn. And finally, we realize that even today, there is atrocity in the world. We think of what happens, what is happening right now in Ukraine. We realize that there is still death, tragically. So we just spill one more drop in recognition that bad things are still happening. And then we drink the second cup. Thank you very much, Emily. You can keep that with you if you want. Or we, Thank you. Thank you so much, Emily. Second cup is the cup of judgment. And I love this tension of, thank you, God, for saving us. But there's a price. There's a cost to salvation. Judgment comes at a high price. And when you read through the story especially the death of the firstborn. It's tragic. The, all, God has to strike down the firstborn of all those in Egypt. All the Egyptian firstborn sons die in this tenth and final plague. 
But what I appreciate about the story is even though the Israelite families have just had the celebration, when this happens, there's no celebration. The firstborn are struck and no one's throwing a party like, ha ha, you guys finally got what's coming. No, there's sorrow and commiseration with the Egyptian people. Let me read uh, just that portion. And let me give you the setup for this too. This is actually something God promised way before it happened. If you go back to Exodus chapter 4, God tells Moses, you say this to Pharaoh. This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. People of Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go so that, they, that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So look, I'm about to kill your firstborn son. You see the parallelism and the justice of this judgment? God's saying, Israel is my people. Israel is like my firstborn son. And you are putting them in slavery and you're actively killing them. Let them go. Let them go. And if not, I will bring judgment in kind against you. And tragically, that's what happen, happens. No, at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt, because there was not a house without someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night, and he said, get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go. Worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you have asked and leave. And also, bless me because I need it. Bless me too. So the second cup, cup of judgment, we remember the plagues. Uh, what happens next is the meal. So if we're sharing a traditional Passover Seder, here is when we would eat uh, we'll be eating a few more things. Uh, if you can see, this is the Passover plate. Usually, it would have a couple more items on it. It would also have a hard-boiled egg because eggs also celebrate new life. Right? It's this promise of new life to come. Uh, so hard-boiled eggs, we'd also have lamb. Why? Because they would kill the lamb and cook it and would take the blood to mark the doors. That was the original Passover, was an unblemished lamb dying. And the symbolism seems to be that uh, almost God passed over this home because judgment has already happened here. There's already been judgment in this house. So pass over this house. Don't let judgment come here. And so you have all these symbolic elements of this meal to share. And again, it comes from the original Passover, Right? They are to eat the meat of the lamb that night, verse 8. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So now uh, we're going to eat some of these things. Uh, Now I need a brave volunteer. Two of these things are fine. One's not so fine. All right. Come on up. Love the bravery. All right, you get to enjoy what's on this plate. Can you remind me of your name? Sorry. Orion. Orion? Orion. Orion. Thank you, Orion. All right, so what you have on your plate is a piece of matzah, unleavened bread. And so actually we eat that first. So you can just break off a little piece 
and you eat unleavened bread by itself. Normally we do a blessing and we'd all eat together. How's that? Pretty good. Yeasty? No, not no. yeasty. No, no, no. Good. Good. That'd be bad. All right. Next, you break off another piece. And you're going to dip it in the, this is called, not this, but this. This is called carousel. Uh, it's a mixture of apples and walnuts and honey. And it's supposed to look like mortar because they made bricks. So it's to remember the mortar. It tastes sweet. It's not bad. You're good. All right. <laughs> what do you think? Like apple pie. Apple pie. There you go. It's good. It's good. I like it. All right, last one. This is bad. This is the maror. This is the bitter herb. Um, right there, that little dollop is horseradish, okay? Um, that's maror. That's bitterness. All right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing this with you, man. So you can be as bitter as you want. You don't have to put all of that on there. But if, you're, if you want to remember how bitter slavery was, you put... Does that make sense? It's supposed, to, it's supposed to bring tears to your eyes. All right? There we go. How is it? That's something. That's something. That's something. Are there cheers? Are there cheers? Yeah. All right. Thank you, Orion. You're a John. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Orion. Thank you for your bravery and your courage. And you can just imagine like little kids eating this meal. Be like, why are we doing this, Mom? Because <laughs> slavery was bitter. <laughs> it was bad. It was really bad. It was really bittery. Bitter, that slavery. And I love how God gives a meal to celebrate salvation. A family meal. Him across this quote, uh, ritual breeds familiarity. It seeps into one's subconscious and however subtly it begins to exert a formative influence. So I said earlier, who are you? What holidays do you celebrate? It says something about you. And also your holidays shape you, the things you eat as a family. If you think back at childhood, you can probably remember certain smells of different holidays and tastes of different holidays. God gave the people a meal because he knows that we're holistic beings and that what we do repeatedly and that things that are special or set apart, we will remember and internalize. He wanted every generation to internalize the fact that you were slaves, it was awful, and I have set you free. I have set you free. I'm not going to go deeply into this, um, but some people struggle with Passover. What do you mean? That God strikes dead all the firstborn of all the Egyptians and the animals. God's good and loving, and yet all this death? What's going on? And there's a lot of answers to this question. I think it's answered in the fact that God is both good and loving and just, in that text we looked at earlier. But I think the question that's raised by this story is ultimately answered in Jesus. I think Jesus makes Passover good. And Jesus answers, if you have trouble with this story, I think Jesus is the ultimate answer. Why? Because how did Jesus take this meal and fulfill it? 
he became the Passover lamb for all of us. And so in Jesus, instead of the Egyptians losing all their firstborn sons, what do we have in Jesus? We have God's own firstborn son willingly losing his life for the world, right? God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save us. Jesus makes Passover good. Ultimately, God's judgment and justice is something that somehow through his love, he's willing to go through that same judgment himself to offer freedom and salvation to all. I think Jesus makes Passover good. So we've had our meal. We've shared all these elements. And after the meal is actually when you get to the third cup. Uh, we're going to switch things around from a traditional Seder. Uh, normally, if you were celebrating this in a Jewish home, you would do something about Elijah because according to the, the prophecies in the book of Malachi, before the coming of the Lord, Elijah is going to come first. And so in Jewish homes, they actually have an extra place setting set aside just for Elijah in case Elijah wants to come to your house and celebrate Passover with you and point to the Messiah's coming. Uh, most Christians, when they, we celebrate Seders or Messianic Jews, they would set that place and then, some, and then take it away to symbolize that actually Elijah already came in the person of John the Baptist who pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. So normally you do that next, um, but we're going to skip to the third cup, the cup of redemption. Exodus 6.6, 6, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. This is the cup that we believe Jesus took and changed and filled full of meaning about himself. Because you have the third cup, and then related with that, you have the dessert, the afikomen. Listen to what Luke records in the New Testament. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table. Not sit it, not sat, right? Reclined. And the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. That's why we think it's this cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So we're going to do two things in a moment. We're going to celebrate Lord's Supper together as this third cup. Instead of having someone come forward, uh, we're all going to come forward and receive the Lord's Supper elements. As we do so, I just want to say a couple things in introduction. Uh, We practice at Creekside Open Communion. Which means, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to partake of the elements. Um, I know that might be awkward if you're just here today and you're exploring the Christian faith and you're looking for answers. I am so glad you're here. Um, We do ask you to not take of the elements because you don't yet consider this to be symbolically Jesus' blood and body broken and shed for you. And that's okay. We want to invite you to keep coming back and keep learning. It could be, though, something happened today or something clicked for you and you are ready to say yes to Jesus. And so for you, this could be 
your first Lord's Supper celebration. And that would be a beautiful thing. And so if you are ready to say yes to Jesus, this could be a, a, a form of saying yes to Jesus. So what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you to come receive a cup of grape juice and break off a piece of matzah. So on this side, this is regular matzah. On this side, this is gluten-free matzah. So if you have a gluten intolerance, you can um, still participate today. I want to break it because Jesus' body was broken for us. And then bring the elements back to your seat and we'll celebrate in a moment. So um, if you would come forward at this time, receive the elements, and then we will partake of the elements together. So don't drink or eat them yet. So I'm asking you to do something slightly strange today. Um, when we drink this in a moment, I don't want you to drink all of it because this is the third cup and there's a fourth cup that we're also going to drink together. So we're not going to come and receive another cup together, but you know, maybe leave half or leave at least a swallow for a moment from now. But the night before Jesus was betrayed, before he went to the cross, he took not just this bread and this cup, he took this entire meal. And I think we've seen an experience together how he used it to point to himself. That all of us have been slaves, not literally, but we have been slaves to sin. And God sent Jesus as a Passover lamb, an unblemished, perfect sacrifice whose blood would cover us to die on our behalf, to set us free, to redeem us, to buy us and purchase us back from sin and from the devil. And so, as we drink the cup, we do this in remembrance of the redemption that is in Jesus. So do this in remembrance of Jesus. And Jesus took the bread, the unleavened bread, that's both pierced and striped, as Jesus' body was pierced and striped and broken ultimately for us. And so we eat this in remembrance of his broken body for us. The fourth and final cup, if you remember to save a little bit, it's the cup of praise. Nexus 6 7 says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. The final cup is a, a cup of celebration. And I love a full Seder because sometimes when I receive Lord's Supper, I don't know if this is supposed to be a solemn thing or a happy thing. <laughs> is this a sad thing that Jesus died or a happy thing that I'm saved? Which one is it? In a Seder, you have these different cups. Right? Remember the cup of judgment? It's not a full cup. Right? There, there's a sad element. The cup of redemption, as you think of Jesus' shed blood, that's sad. But then we turn immediately to the fourth cup, the cup of praise. And we end on this note of celebration. And in a traditional Seder, you would say next year in Jerusalem. Because the hope is next year, Messiah would come and save his people and all Jews would be living in Jerusalem. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you look forward to not going back to literal Jerusalem. But in Revelation 21 and 22, it talks about the new Jerusalem, heaven, coming down to earth. And so we look forward together, not to Jesus' first coming, but his second coming. And so if you would lift your cup with me, and let's say this exuberantly together. Are you ready? Next year in the new Jerusalem. God, we thank you 
for redemption, forgiveness, that your blood covers us, and we thank you and we look forward to your return. Whenever that might be, we look forward to your coming. We await it in anticipation. Thank you for this time we had today to celebrate you and time we'll share next week. In your name we pray. Amen.